Welcome to another episode of Growing Up 8. Today's episode is entitled, Football, No, You Don't Understand. A significant chunk of our childhood centered around football. As native Texans, most of us had little choice in the matter. It was simply part of our cultural upbringing. Mother culture had whispered in the crib to our preformed bodies that the train to success rode on the rails of the gridiron. I often dreamed of becoming Roger Staubach, the legendary clean-living quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys of the 70s. I didn't want to be like him or pattern my game after his. I wanted to become him. Idolatry was one of the unpardonable sins, but for the chance to become Roger the Dodger, I was willing to be a consummate pagan. As a rule, Sundays after attending Mass usually found many of us in the den watching Dad watch football on the only TV in the house. Of course, Sunday dinner, a mid-afternoon feast of roast, rice, gravy, took precedence. Mom had her rules as well. But the unspoken compromise between them was that the feast would occur during the halftime, for the most part. Watching Dad watch football was truly a visceral experience. Every completion or drop pass, every sack or missed tackle, every score or near miss would just ruggedly played out before us as we watched his twistings and turnings, his bobbings and weavings, his tortured agonies, and his eruptions of joy. We, too, became caught up in his passionate embrace of the sport. How could we not? Most of our time, however, was spent playing, not watching. Of course, I don't include the uncountable number of times we spent watching our siblings participate in their games and scrimmages and practices. From flag football to Pop Warner to junior high and high school, we were more than spectators. Like Dad, we absorbed every one of their tackles and missed chances, their runs to glory, and their being ingloriously ridden into the turf. Spectating a sibling was akin to actual participation for us. We also played a lot of street football which was undeniably the one skill set our band of brothers possessed that gave us street credibility each time we moved. We were our own team, and as soon as we moved into whatever neighborhood it was our destiny to roam, it was an inevitable point of honor that we, the new kids, would be challenged to a game on the local empty lot or side street. We, of course, had the advantage of being in constant practice as well as being in constant state of readiness. If the weather was good and Mom had nothing over us, we were on the narrow street in front of our house, towing the curb as we made incredible sideline catches and learning how to juke a defender with very little room to operate. Our game was largely two-on-two, two, sometimes three-on-three three as the two little ones, John and Mark, got old enough to play. Mostly Doug and Tom would match up against Michael and me. We had set plays and grew accustomed to anticipating the cuts and feints of one another. In short, we were a well-oiled machine. We rarely lost. Football started early for most of us. In kindergarten, I attended Sycamore School in Nederland, Texas. There was little to no playground equipment, as I remember, and play was, a, was and is an essential part of the childhood experience. We kindergarten boys managed to overcome this when we could escape from the multi-gendered games of Red Rover and Freeze Tag. We were wild about football, so lack of equipment, namely an actual football, was not going to encumber us in the least. The kickoff was announced as a lone student minded, mimed the punting of a football. Simultaneously, four or five boys would flag their hands in the air and cry, I got it! Four or five pairs of imaginary arms would catch the invisible call balls cascading out of the clouds and take off running, each certain that the football was safely tucked away in good position and form from would-be tacklers in our game of Tubalo. 
tackle was forbidden on the playground since most of us had to swear to our parents that we wouldn't get hurt playing tackle. The defending team had a mess on their hands as they tried to determine who actually authentically carried the invisible ball. The game became less chaotic when we decided to make a change in the unstated rules and allow the kicker to call out the name of his targeted returner. My life changed when Dad agreed to let me play up and be a part of Tom's first and second grade YMCA football flag team, part of a league our church Immaculate Conception sponsored. Actually, as I found out later, allowed me, allowing me to play was a deal struck between the Y and my father. He would agree to coach the team if they would agree to suspend the rules and allow a kindergartner to play. I recall very little of the practices or my teammates or even the games other than knowing that Dad was confident enough in Tom and my speed, athleticism, and knowledge of the game to plug us into any position he needed. While Tom and I had the advantage of older brothers who played the sport with us and demanded that we be good enough to be a help rather than a hindrance, for others on our team this was not the case. And so it was that while some coaches dreamt and tried to enact pro-style offenses and defenses and complicated formations with their players, our coach kept it pretty basic. On offense, we had two basic running plays and two basic passing plays. In fact, they were so basic that they were mirror images of each other. The run plays were identical except one was a sweep around the right end and the other was a sweep around the left end. The pass plays followed the similar protocol. 10 yards in and turn and cut across the center of the field. We could do this from left or from right. Dad was counting on the fact that most seven to nine-year-olds, while dreamers, were not skilled at reading and reacting quickly to what was happening around them. He was also counting on the fact that most of the opposing coaches in the YMCA league operated on an ego drive and vicarious existence. The ego part wanted them to call the amazing play that would never be forgotten and would be cemented into football lore. The vicarious part meant that every play was designed to maximize the coach's participation in living through the experience of triumph. The problem in both instances is age, the age of the coach and the age of the players. As is typical in coaching young, often first-time athletes, the first few practices serve more as tryouts than anything else. They are meant to help the inexperienced players learn the basic fundamentals of the game, and they are meant to help the coaches learn the players and how best to put them in a position to be successful. Then there was our quarterback. Though his name is long forgotten, who he was and what he was able to accomplish helped me better understand my father. As Dad remembers, one of the young boys was above average in height and build, and he seemed to have some real skill when it came to throwing a football. This meant he could direct it in a certain direction and you could be pretty certain it wouldn't fly halfway off his hand and travel sideways. His throws were fairly accurate. This was a real find, a player with the tools necessary to play quarterback. Being able to see over the line and being able to complete a pass without airing out uh, a wild duck. In Dad's description, however, the lad was extremely shy and soft-spoken. He seemed hesitant and cautious by nature but he was also the natural athletic choice to lead our team on offense. The huddle would take care of itself. As is typical in these infant beginnings to a sport, the coach stays with the players on the field, calling plays, adjusting stances and positions, and offering support and encouragement when needed. As the season progressed, so did our team. Each Saturday morning brought more cohesion, more confidence, and more victories. Our quarterback grew as well. And midway through the season, he asked Dad if he could call some plays. 
than all the plays. Dad easily and happily assented, as this would allow him some extra time to spend with those players who continued to struggle a bit in the basics of a three-point stance and how to catch a ball with two hands. He also understood that the shy, hesitant child he had placed at the helm of our offense had grown and was now meeting meeting his eye rather than casting them down in an embarrassed way. Our quarterback was taking charge of the huddle. Following the final game, as the field was clearing and the bats on the shoulders began to diminish, a tall man approached my father at midfield, introducing himself and taking my dad's hand to thank him. He had a relieved and grateful look on his face. It was our quarterback's dad. Smiling, my father congratulated him on his son's growth and skill at QB. He was a good kid and worthy of his parents' pride. No, you don't understand. I didn't know what to do. He was hiding more and more and speaking less and less. He hated school. He was bullied because he was quiet and shy, and the more he was bullied, the quieter and shyer he became. As he spoke, he had that lost look of someone recounting how he nearly lost everything. Then he started playing football for your team, with you. Now he has friends, he talks, his grades are going up, and he even looks you in the eye now. You don't understand, you've given me back my son, thank you. I watched the face of my father as he retold this story to me. It's a story I've heard many times, and yet I have little memory of that season except his memory. It's a reminder to me that though we live in shared experiences, not all of those experiences are felt in the same way. Neither are they encoded on our souls in the same way. The value for me in the nameless quarterback story is measured by the flicker of love and pride I see in the man retelling it. It's the same flicker of love and pride we saw as he watched each one of us play our sport and make our choices and succeed and fail and live our lives. When he retells the story, it's the same pair of brown eyes that I watch grow moist from the deep place within each of us that answers the call to support another person with tenderness.